I, uh, whenever a, uh, just a, whenever a priest moves from one parish to another, um, there are always a couple of like administrative things that have to kind of take place. Um, I remember the, whenever I moved to St. Thomas, one of the things that, one of the conversations that has to happen, um, I think at the time we had about 15 or 16 weddings that were kind of outstanding, that were in the process of marriage prep. Um, and it's kind of, there's a conversation between the pastor, the outgoing pastor and incoming pastor of like, hey, uh, I'm going to take this wedding, this wedding, and this wedding. I'm going to leave you this one, this one, and this one. A lot of times, if the people are just getting engaged or just starting to process, um, or if there's somebody that might not like be super like close or related to the, the pastor outgoing, um, then what happens is, is, okay, hey, when you come in, there are three or four weddings that are outstanding that you're going you're gonna to take over, right? Well, what happened, there was this situation, um, it was, it was a, it was a me problem, um, shocker, but like, there was this situation that happened, uh, when I, when I got to St. Thomas, there was a wedding that I had, that a couple that I had been working with and had been working with and working with, um, they had their wedding scheduled, uh, for I think April of 2020, uh, so it got pushed back, and then Ida hit, and it got pushed back again, and something else happened, it got pushed back again, so it got pushed back like a solid, like, two and a half years, um, at some point during that delay, 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 what ended up happening was they shifted the date of the wedding from a Saturday night wedding to a Friday night wedding. Now, as you're hearing that, you're like, that's no big deal. As I'm hearing that, I'm going, uh, yeah, this is why you double-check dates. Because what happened was, um, for whatever reason, somebody else had to do the rehearsal, and the rehearsal gets done on the Thursday night, and I'm like, great, I will be there on Saturday. Now it's starting to sink in what happened, right? Exactly. So Friday night, <laughs> I was out. I was actually helping the focus missionaries move into their house. Uh, and I remember as we're moving things and doing this stuff and putting together furniture and all this stuff, I remember I felt my phone vibrate and I looked at my phone and it was the pastor of the parish. And it's like, ah, oh, that's fine. I'll call him back later. It's probably about the wedding tomorrow. So I hit the button. And when I did, I saw I had a text message. And the text message was from the bride. And the bride was saying, hey, when are you getting here? Question mark. I looked at the clock. And it was 5.57. You never guess what time the wedding was at. Six. <laughs> exactly. I get a phone call again from the pastor because I had rejected the call. It went straight to voicemail. He knew that, right? So what happens is he calls me back. And I answer this time. And I'm like, hey. And he's like, you're, you're around the corner, right? And I'm like, Tomorrow, I'll be there. Yeah, and he's like, well, I got a church full of people that say the wedding is tonight. And I said, oh, before that word. And then I hung up the phone. I sprinted out of the house, came here, changed, jumped in the car, took off, sending texts. I love y'all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm on my way. I thought I have it on my schedule for tomorrow. I had mass coverage for like Saturday night, for example. Like, like I knew this wedding was on Saturday, but it was on Friday. So I'm sprinting, driving as fast as I can. And the whole ride there, I'm just in the back of my mind thinking, I'm about to have to walk in, into a church that is full of people that are just waiting for the priest to get this wedding going, <laughs> right? Uh, since then, every time I do a wedding at, at, the, at my old parish, um, I get phone call after phone call and text after text. You know it's at this time. You know it's this day. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I'm sorry. All right. But anyway, like I remember walking in to that church. I park. As I'm pulling around, I see all the groomsmen. They made their way out front of the church. They're smoking cigarettes and talking, probably wearing off their bus. Um, but they're all kind of standing there, goofing off, and like, 
They're all just waiting for the priest, right? I pull around, and I'm getting death glares from everybody that sees me. I remember getting to the door of the church and taking a breath for a second, thinking, this is not going to be good, and just open the door right into the sacristy, and I had a bunch of people come up. You're okay? You got everything? We good? We got it? We good? We got it? I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm doing all this stuff. I go see the bride. She's like, I'm just grateful to get married. I go see the groom. He's just, hey, look, it is what it is. There's no reason to get angry about it. Let's just get this thing on the road. And then I turned around, and I saw the mother of the bride, and I ran the other way, right? I remember I did the wedding, made like a joke. I was like, yeah, it had been delayed three times, so it's another 45 minutes, right? But anyway, like I go through this whole thing, get through the wedding, beautiful ceremony, all this stuff. At the end, we're taking pictures, and I'm just apologizing over and over and over to the bride and to the groom. And I'm like, free baptisms for life. You don't have to worry about anything for the rest of your life. You know, all these kind of things. I'm trying to make it as easy as possible. They left. They went to the reception. And I remember getting back in the car and just going, thank God that's over, right? Now, the, 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 the stress of that, the stress, the, the feeling of walking into a church where I'm late and everybody's been waiting and inconvenienced, it's just a cringy feeling. I don't know if you've ever felt that kind of thing where you were supposed to be somewhere, you're running late, you walk in, and just like as you walk into the door, as you walk into the room, as you walk into the house, wherever you're supposed to be, just every eye looks at you and goes, about time you show up, right? Like, it's just like a, it just makes your skin crawl. It's just a, it's a rough feeling. Now imagine for a second that you have to be somewhere. Imagine for a second that you absolutely have to be somewhere, right? Maybe the event is taking place. Maybe you're not the priest that, like in charge of the wedding, right? But maybe like you, you're, you have to be at a certain event, you were planning it, you were doing it, you were in charge of it, whatever. The event starts, you are late, and when you walk up, the door's locked. And the panic that ensues. And everyone you try and call doesn't answer. Everyone you try and text doesn't answer. Because it's already started. And you're not there. The door's locked. And you can't get in. That's the feeling that Jesus is bringing up today in our gospel. That feeling of panic, that feeling of what just happened, that feeling of I missed it, that's what Jesus is pointing at today in our gospel with the story of the ten virgins. Ten virgins, ten maidens, and for all intents and purposes, think of it as ten bridesmaids. You see, we're at the point in the liturgical year since we're at the end of the liturgical year, when we get into ordinary time, weeks of ordinary time, 30, 31, 32, 33, Christ the King Sunday, like when we get into this period of the year, the church invites us every year to reflect on the end, to reflect on where we're going. If you look at the readings that we've had the last couple of weeks, it's been a lot of kind of where are you going, what's going to be the end, right? Like what's going to, there, there's a finality to everything, right? And today's no different. Because Advent, the first Sunday of Advent is the beginning of the Catholic New Year, right? The beginning of the liturgical year. So as we get to the end of the liturgical year, it gives us a chance to reflect on the last things, the end time, where we're going. Namely, when, uh, something that's waiting for everyone, and that's death. We don't like to talk about it. It's kind of cringy. It's not very comfortable. 
worth reflecting on, and the church invites us to do so every year. In fact, the, the, the gospel that we have today, the way in which it's presented, if we understand the cultural context, I think it actually teases out two really, really beautiful points for us. So as we, as we look at it, we, we need to understand what a Jewish celebration for a wedding looked like, right? Jewish celebrating for, uh, celebration for a wedding was a week-long type thing, right? It was a week-long of celebrations. Um, we think like in our culture, we have maybe like the bridal shower and then the, the, the honeydew party and this party and that garden party and this thing and that thing and the rehearsal and blah, 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 all these different nine million things, right? Well, think of putting all that in one week. Right? And as you go through this celebration, there were different benchmarks and different things that would happen. Well, one of the images, one, one of the things in bringing into the feast, you didn't just have people walking down an aisle to come and express their love, or like a, a bridal party that did that. What they did was is they would actually carry lamps and escort the bridegroom into the wedding feast. Into the feast. And that's what we're hearing about today. Jesus is preaching to the cultural context of the people. And he says, there were these ten maidens, these ten virgins, these ten bridesmaids, and they had their lamps, and their lamps were ready. But some of them were foolish, and some of them were wise. The foolish ones didn't bring an extra flask of oil. The wise ones did bring an extra flask of oil. So whenever it came time, for the, when the bridegroom came, and he was running late, maybe he was caught in traffic from Thibodeau to Raceland, but anyway, like when the bridegroom came, and he was late, and they announced that the bridegroom is coming, the, the, the maidens started to trim their lamps. They fell asleep with their lamps lit. You ever fell asleep with your phone on? Right? It dies. You've got to plug it in. Like, it's the same concept. So because they didn't have extra oil, some were begging, hey, can we use some of yours? Maybe we can, maybe we can like, split the flask. And they're like, no, go get your own. They go get their own. By the time they come back, it's too late. They're in the, they're in the celebration. They're in the wedding feast. The door's locked. Then there's this really interesting spot where there's a, they bang on the door, and the bridegroom comes to them and says this like very cutting statement. I don't know you. I, I don't know you. Be gone. Get out. Like almost like accusing them of being a wedding crasher of sorts, right? Like, I don't know you. You're dismissed. Jesus isn't talking about some, some big party on earth. Jesus is using this story, he's using this image for his audience because they understand it, and what he's doing is he's talking about heaven. Shock. Jesus would talk about heaven, right? And in talking about heaven, what he's saying is, is that heaven is the marriage feast of the Lamb. He heaven is a wedding feast, and we're all invited. Everyone's invited. You just got to be ready to go when it's time. And when the bridegroom comes, me... The, the Son of God, right? When the bridegroom comes, not me, Jesus, me, right? Like when the bridegroom comes, me, the Son of God, when I come, you've got to be ready to go. And once you're ready, you can walk on in. And if you're not ready, you're not going to have time to go get ready. You're just going to, it's going to happen and the door's going to be locked and God's going to look at you and say, I don't know you, and you're dismissed. It's a, it's a, Almost a, it comes off almost as a harsh teaching thing because there's a finality to it. But I think there are two elements of it that can actually give us some hope and give us some direction in how we're living our life. The first element is the oil. 
Because by all intents and purposes, as far as parables go, we could see a moment where they have extra and they have extra flask and they don't have any oil. Why don't you just split it? It can't be that far of a way that you would burn this kind of oil. Why don't you just share it and it would be fine? St. Augustine, in looking at that, in the, early, in the early centuries of the church, looking at this parable of Jesus, shared one image about the oil, one detail about the oil. He said when Jesus was sharing this, one of the things that he was meaning was that the oil was actually like the good works of the person. Which would make sense. Because we're all commissioned and given good works to do. We all, as Christians, as baptized, faithful, confirmed Christians, right, are called to go and do the, the corporal works of mercy. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, drink to the thirsty, visit the imprisoned, visit the lonely, pray for the souls in purgatory, the spiritual works of mercy, right? We all have, within our ability, the chance to do the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. We can do them. But the thing is, is I can't do yours and you can't do mine. So the sharing of the oil is impossible. I can't do it for you. And you can't do it for me. So with that as the understanding, with that as the background, it makes sense, right? That we've all been commissioned to do it, and yet some do, some don't. Some, quote-unquote, have the oil. Others don't. fair question to ask ourselves is, are my stocks full? <laughs> Do I have oil? Or extra oil, if you will? Do I do the, those things? Right? Does my Christian faith, is it something that I just profess or is it something that I actually do and share? Do I visit those who are lonely? Do I talk to, do, do I actually like talk to my, my grandparents who are aging? Do I give food to the hungry? Am I wasteful with what I have? Do I, do, do, like, do I actually do the things that Christians say? Or, there's a second collection sometimes about World Mission Sundays. I'll throw an extra dollar in there this time. God's, not asking, God's asking of us to do <laughs> the work of a Christian. Like to be his hands and his feet. To be his mouth to speak, right? The second thing I think is 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 worth kind of leaning into tonight um, for us as we hear this reading is that striking statement at the end of I don't know you. There's an, it's like an indictment of sorts. Don't know you. Just imagine at the end of life, like that somebody would die, and the, 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 that God, when they would die, the, the, the absolute tragedy it would be for when a person dies that their introduction to Jesus would be after they die at the pearly gates. And God would look at him and say, I don't know you. There's a, the, the, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, but I remember the, um, I remember in seminary, there was just this striking kind of re reality that came to me. Or when I first got into a parish, 
in seminary, there was always this idea of like, oh yeah, I'm going to walk into a parish, I'm going to get to lead the people, and my preaching is going to be amazing, and all this kind of stuff, and then I start boring people at 9 o'clock at night, and I apologize, but like, I, I, like, I, I think of like, all of these, like, I would think of all these amazing things and how this stuff is going to be and how it's so romantic and beautiful and awesome and all these kind of things, right? Like, this is what the priesthood is going to be. When I get into a parish, I'm going to be the model for everybody. Oh, my goodness, that would be so scary, right? Like, it took me about two weeks in a parish to realize when I got there that I was not even close to the holiest person that walked into that church. Because there were people that were sitting in the front pews of daily mass on a regular basis that had been praying the rosary longer than I had been alive. Those people knew Jesus and knew him to a depth that I wish I could get to at some point. Like, they know Jesus. Some of the most fulfilling masses, some of the most fulfilling celebrations that I have ever experienced as a priest were, for, were funerals for people that I knew knew Jesus. And upon reflecting upon it, it was, it was, it's humbling to think whenever that person died that God looked at him and said, oh no, it's you, come on in. Come on in. And if some of them dies, oh, you again? Oh, yeah, fine, go over there, be gone, right? Like, like how beautiful would it be that at the end of our life, God would look at us and it would not be a reintroduction, but it would be a reunion. That the relationship that you've had on earth, that started on earth, had been de deepened on earth, had been worked on on earth, that by the time you die, we walk into heaven and it's, uh, oh, now I get to experience you in a whole new way, Jesus. My friend. My loved. That's what God's inviting us into when we talk about a relationship with God. It's an eternal relationship that we can start right now on earth. We settle for the counterfeits. We settle for sin. We settle for, for distractions. We settle for all these other things that get in the way of the most important relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And at the end of our life, all those other things are going to go away. And it's just going to be him. And us. Is it going to be a reintroduction? Yeah, Lord, I knew you right after that awakening thing. Or yeah, Lord, I knew you that one time. I remember I had that one good time prayer. Oh yeah, I remember I knew you the night before my wedding when I went to confession. That was the last time I went. Mm -hmm, you know? Or is it going to be an ongoing relationship that God says, oh no, I know you. The beautiful thing about us as Christians, the beautiful thing about us as Catholics in particular, is that the words of St. Paul mean something to us. His words from today's second reading. And I'm, I'm going to end with this. His second reading is from the first book of Thessalonians, is from the first letter to the Thessalonians. And it's actually an option for a funeral. And I think it's one of the most powerful readings that we have in all of the Bible, especially when it comes to death. This is what he says. We read the shortened version, so. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep. We don't want you, brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, we don't want you to be unaware about those who have died so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. 
You see, the reason why death is such an, a kind of taboo thing and, and it's a scary thing to talk about is because the rest of the world doesn't understand it. They don't reverence it. They're afraid of it. Because for them, death is the end. It's a period. It's over. It's darkness after that. You're dirt, you become a tree, right? Like, that's it. Congratulations. We don't want you to be aware, unaware, brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose, so will God through Jesus bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Our destiny is not this world. That we, as Catholics, we live with the hope of heaven. We live knowing that this world is not the end. We live knowing and actively being able to, to, to feed a relationship with a God who is beyond this world. That on the day of our death, it is not a reintroduction. It is not us going into the ground and becoming dirt all over again. But that when we die, that we could be, meet our maker face to face. He looks at us and says, I know you. So come into the place that I have prepared. This is the hope of all Christians. That eternal life is actually possible. And it doesn't have to wait until we die. But that the relationship that we have with God here on earth is something that persists way beyond the grave. When we come to Mass, this is the relationship that we're feeding. This is the God we're coming to see face to face. May not be face to face like in heaven, but it's pretty freaking close. Because we see him where heaven touches earth for a moment. And God presents himself to us as bread and wine, saying, this is my body given up for you. We get to meet him for a moment face to face. It's a foretaste of heaven when we receive him. We don't grieve like the rest of the world. We don't fear death like the rest of the world. But we approach it with hope, with reverence, because we know that if we are faithful to our relationship with God here, that our death is not going to be a reintroduction, but a reunion with a God who loves us and has been with us. May today that faith be the faith that compels us forward to come and meet our Lord and get a foretaste of that reunion.